0: The following message was delivered at Bible Baptist Church in Dickinson, North Dakota. And turn with me to Philippians chapter 3 this morning, Philippians chapter 3. <clears throat> we we'll begin in verse 12, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 12. <clears throat> Uh, Verse 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And that's Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 3 is where we ought to be. I'll get there. Philippians 3, let's begin in verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. From this passage of Scripture, I'd like to preach on the subject this morning, moving forward for Christ, moving forward for Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, as we look into thy word, I'm thankful for it. And Father, for the admonition and exhortation of the scripture. And Father, Lord, we have been blessed so much recently in, in uh, finally being able to purchase a building and have it remodeled and and to have our dedication and pay, paying the building off all kinds of blessings that way. We've seen some losses along the way, losses of people that we love dearly and look forward to seeing in the future. And yet... Uh, Father, whether it's be victory or loss, Father, there comes a time when we need to begin to move forward again and, Lord, not be bogged down by anything. And I pray, God, as we consider these things this morning, Father, give us understanding of the importance of this great truth that we need to keep on keeping on or moving forward uh, for the Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, uh, here in our text, the Apostle Paul is speaking, uh, if you will, of the common analogy of the Grecian games, uh, particularly the marathon and running the marathon. The marathon is never a sprint, it is a long distance race, and men that train for it. I remember reading uh, about this years ago about some folks, uh, some guys that were involved with the marathon, and they would run on an average 10 miles a day, and uh, then at once a week they would ri- run a full marathon. And I thought, well, this is kind of crazy because I think a marathon is 26. point Some odd miles in a, di- in you know, at one time, and it takes hours to run it. It's amazing how quickly some can run. You know, for some of us, uh, three hours could mean uh, a distance of 200 yards, you know, down the driveway and back, you know, that kind of thing. But for them, uh, the marathon is a long distance race, and it's run in hours because of their training and preparation for it. As always, they have the goal of winning the race, and not only winning, but running well, and if you will, finishing well. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, and he lived in 1807 to 1882, said, the heights of men, the heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night you know folks The people that often go out and do great things are people that go above and beyond what sometimes the rest of us are doing and paul is calling uh, these christians uh, this church of philippi and us uh, to be moving forward not to find ourselves stagnant not to find ourselves sitting back and enjoying The blessings, although we've had blessings to enjoy this past year, we've had troubles along the way as well, and yet uh, God doesn't want us to stay or to be bogged down, but uh, to move forward. Paul was one of those kinds of guys. He was never satisfied with where he was and what he had done. He always wanted to keep on moving uh, forward. But as we look at Philippians chapter 3, there are two things I want us to consider this morning that Paul gives in his exhortation. He is trying to exhort and encourage these believers to go on and do more for Christ. Paul had been a part of establishing this church at Philippi. He's writing back to them to encourage them to uh, uh, to encourage them by thanking them at times for his care, their care for him as he had cared uh, for them bringing the gospel to them as a matter of fact. The first thing We want to consider uh, this morning we find in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And that's what we want to consider first this morning. As we talk about moving forward for Christ, we need to remember. those things which are behind he is not saying to disregard them to act as if they meant nothing to us in our lives but not to live on them imagining that because of what's been it will always be folks we need to always have our our mindset on the and not stagnant we you know it's one thing to remember God has done many things for all of us as his people individually, as a church collectively, and I'm speaking to you as a church today that we could, we should consider moving forward and not just thinking about the past. What a blessing it was to enjoy the, the building dedication, the 25th anniversary, all the goodies and that, and I'm trying to forget the fact that I overate and ate the wrong things, amen, as we tend to do at a celebration. But, you know... We, we've come a long way in 25 years, and yet, and yet, folks, there have been some troubles along the way. There have been some difficulties of this last year and a half. I'll tell you what, if given an opportunity, I probably wouldn't want to do it over again. It's been a crazy year and a half. We've lost people uh, to death, people we've loved and cared about. We've seen some victory and success, and yet, you know, sometimes I look and I think, man, I, ju- I wouldn't want to go there again. You know, and some would say, well, be careful what you, what you say. You know what? I'm not afraid of God. I'm not afraid of God. God is going to do what, what God thinks is best. But, you know, I think Paul is trying to encourage these believers. Okay, we've, we've, we've had some uh, past, uh, if you will, successes, and we've had uh, some past f- failures. As a matter of fact, verses 3 through 9 Uh, Philippians chapter 3 Paul uh, is remembering his conversion uh, to Christ he says in verse 3 for we are uh, the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh he's a Jew and he's realized that his his confidence in the flesh and what he did as a Jew meant nothing he goes on to say Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, a doubtless, <clears throat> and I count all things loss. Uh, but for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. By faith Paul, who was then Saul of Tarsus, was very religious, a very zealous Jew, one who kept the law, one who worked ardently for the Jewish faith, even to the point of persecuting Christians. And God revealed himself through the word, through the testimony of the very Christians he persecuted. And the message they preached, he was converted to Jesus Christ and said, You know, I've won a victory. Those things were, that were gained to me, I've counted loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He knew what it was to be converted. And folks, conversion, salvation is a victory for everyone who's saved by the grace of God. <clears throat> if you're saved here today, you've already had a victory in your life. A victory that no one can take away from you. No one, not even yourself. You know, we don't believe this nonsense that you can lose your salvation because salvation is of the Lord. God does all the saving and God does all the keeping. Amen? And what a blessing that if you've been saved, you have that victory. Paul was encouraging them, uh, reminding them of what God had done for him, And people marveled. Who would have imagined Saul of Tarsus getting saved by the grace of God? Who would have imagined some of you getting saved by the grace of God? And yet it happened. And here you are today in Matthew 15. Look with me there. Matthew 15. <clears throat> Many of the disciples of the Lord, all of them, most, I think most all of them, were Jews when they were converted to Christ. And Matthew 15 and 1, Then came Jesus to Jesus' scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. <clears throat> But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well the Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And the, and the, the Jews, for the most part, in Christ's day were people that rejected him because all what they had was a vain worship and they preferred that. They preferred that over a real, genuine relationship with Christ, but not all. You know, there were many that did hear the message of the gospel through John Baptist and through Uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, they were converted, saved by the grace of God, gave up their vain, empty religion, often that involved religious works and uh, religious ceremonies. You know, there are people today that don't even realize that uh, they're worshiping God in vain because they believe, well, I I was baptized as a baby. Surely that makes me a Christian. No, it doesn't. That's a vain, empty religion and uh, a vain and empty trust for the sake of religion, for the sake of salvation. There are those that believe, well, if I just do good works, a God will accept me. I will be saved one day. I might go to heaven. They have no assurance of it. And yet the Bible says, for by grace he is saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Many are taught that, well, I can receive Christ. I receive Christ every time I take holy communion. And yet, that is, the Bible uh, teaches that, uh, Christ taught, he said, this do in remembrance of me. It's a memorial service. It has no power uh, to forgive sins. You eat the bread, the unleavened bread, and the unfermented grape juice, which pi- uh, pictures the uh, body and blood of Jesus Christ. You partake of those elements. You do so in a memorial sense, not a salvation sense. There's no forgiveness in those things. And yet... Many unknowingly have been taught to vainly worship God according to, if you will, the traditions of men. And those things I just mentioned and many more are taught by tradition and people are trying to worship God according to tradition and it's empty. It leaves them empty. It leaves them vain. It leaves them sinners in need of a Savior. Sinners whose lives are sometimes a wreck even though they're religious. And Paul knew what victory was. He had been saved by the grace of God. Let go of the traditions of men. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul writing to the Hebrew believers is reminding them. In Hebrews 6 and 1. Therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. That means the gospel of Christ. Let us go on into perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Folks, once the foundation's been laid and uh, we're, our, our soul is, is, if you will, founded on the rock Christ Jesus by faith in his gospel. Uh, the gospel being that how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Folks, we put our faith and trust in what Christ has done for us. God lays the foundation in our lives of salvation, a foundation he wants us to build on, to go on unto perfection or, if you will, spiritual maturity. <clears throat> it could only happen if you've laid the proper foundation. But once it's laid, it's laid. It's time to move on. It's time to go on. You know, it's a victory to have laid the proper foundation, but it's important to take heed how we build on uh, that foundation. In Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, Paul <clears throat> Paul uh, understood what it was to learn many things that he didn't know before he was saved. You know, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus before his conversion, knew the law, but he didn't know what it was to walk with God according to his word. He knew the law, but he didn't know what it was to walk with God according to his word. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul says here, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were all so careful, but uh, you lacked opportunity, meaning they cared about him, wanted to help him whenever they could. He said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. Paul who was the converted Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor and what have you now, a preacher of the gospel, had a lot of things to learn. He had won great victory and you know, he would learn and win other great victories. You know, even, uh, you know, the church of Philippi was established during a time when uh, <clears throat> Saul of Tarsus was, uh, or the apostle Paul and Silas were cast into prison. For casting a demon out of a woman. They found themselves in prison. They'd already led one family to Christ. They were going to reach another family because of those circumstances. It was God's will that he be there at that time for those folks. The jailer and his family got saved by the grace of God. They became charter members of the church that he is now writing to. And he said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I find myself. Because it's the will of God And I said, he's learned, he learned some things, had victory, if you will, because of it. What a blessing. Theodore Roosevelt said, far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failures, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory or defeat. You know, there are some people that won't try anything because they're afraid. And you know, <clears throat> Theodore Roosevelt knew what it was to fail. You know, Abraham Lincoln, who was probably one of the greater presidents in our, in our nation's history, failed many times, many times, before he finally became the president of the United States. Did he do everything right? No, he didn't. No, As a matter of fact, he was part and parcel, a part of how we got into, if you will, the the war that we had. I think he got saved later on during the war and came to realize what a ridiculous thing it was. What a high price was paid. But he had been a failure. And he knew what it was to fail. But because he failed, he wasn't a failure. He went on to do some great things uh, for our nation and for us as a people. <clears throat> but Paul knew what it was to do great things. Paul also knew what it was to fail, Romans 7. Romans chapter 7. You know, Sometimes we look at uh, the saints of the Lord in the Scripture. We imagine, we imagine them to be oh, almost as if they were without sin, without any possibility of failing. And yet, folks, we are, we are privy to some of their failures because God has allowed us to see them, and I think so that we would not think of men more highly than we ought. Amen? In Romans 7 and 14, Paul writes of himself, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, for what I would that I do not, but what I hate that I do. Paul's saved, been saved for some time. And he's writing about failure, he's writing about weakness. If, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I mean, Who would have imagined the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest preachers and missionaries that ever lived, would write of these things? He says, O wretched man that I am. Then he says, verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then, with the mind I serve the law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. He, He understood the struggle that everybody has, every Christian has, with their flesh. With their flesh. He understood failure. There were times when, and he doesn't tell us what, I don't believe he did something that would disqualify him from the ministry, but he did some things that he said I hate because he knew what the scripture said and how that God hated those things. He looked at himself and had to realize, you know what? I failed God. I want to do right, and sometimes I just plain fail God. Now, he could have let that keep him from moving forward, but he didn't. He didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't say, well, you know, I've had all these victories. I'm good. I mean, we can coast. I, we can put it in autopilot now. When he was faced with failure, he could have been so discouraged. And let me say this. Sometimes Christian people get discouraged because of their own personal failure. Say, preacher, do you ever feel like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you ever fail? Absolutely. You know, it's sad to me when I fail people, but more sad when I fail God. Amen? And there are times when I do, there are times when I'm discouraged because of my own failure. And there are times when when I let failures whisper in my ear and say, just give it up. Just quit. What's the point? What's the point of it all? Paul could have... Lamentations three Remember years ago when I first read this passage, it continues to be one of my favorite. You say, Why is that? Because of failure. Lamentations three and verse twenty one. Paul said this this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, folks, we love that song, Great is thy faithfulness. Amen? Why? Because God is faithful to us. And you know what? Especially when we fail. Especially when we fail. Especially when we let the failure cause us to feel hopeless and even want to give up. If you will, 1 John 1 1 John 1 and verse 9. 1 John 1 and 9. God gives us a promise here. If we confess our sins, He, or God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, folks, when we come to Christ in salvation, do you know how much sin is forgiven? All of it. That includes the past, the present, and the future. All of it. And when we fail God as a Christian, we can come to God knowing that he's a compassionate and merciful God and that when we're honest with him and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I was wrong, you know what he does? He says to us, I forgive you. Let's get up and go on. Let's get up. And go on. We're talking about forgetting those things which are behind. You know, folks, what a blessing when we have victory. And there are times when we do. And we ought to rejoice in it. Amen. But we can't live on the past, the past blessings, and we can't live on, if you will, the past failures. Because they may keep us from moving forward for Christ. Secondly, if you will, Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. He talks about not being perfect, not apprehending perfection. He's thinking about the future of heaven and the perfection of heaven, the rewards of heaven. He says in verse 13, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Not only forgetting those things which are behind, but reaching forth unto those things which are before. You know, Paul was ever mindful that, you know what? We need to keep moving forward. We don't want to find ourselves stagnant. We don't want to find ourselves doing nothing for the Lord, even though, you know, folks, the Lord's coming. Amen. The Lord is coming. We have much to look forward to, but even as our theme has been for this year, we need to be occupied till he comes. Reaching forth, striving to do more for God. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 and 18. Here Paul writes earlier What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ has preached, and I therein do rejoice, and yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also uh, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Folks, I think that was uh, Paul's theme verse for his life. He said, no matter what it is, I want whatever it is I do, and I want to keep doing, you know, God, he's speaking about the fact that the Lord has allowed him to live. Not to live unto himself, but to live for God and for other people, always reaching out. If in one place it said striving to preach where, where the name of Christ has not been named, amen, talking to people who've never been talked to, had anyone talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me say this, folks, do you know something? There is somebody that you, that God wants to use you to talk to about Jesus Christ. Someone that the preacher or somebody else in church isn't gonna have an opportunity to talk to. God wants to use you, and he will use you if you let him. Amen? Don't say, well, you know, I I brought a few people to church, and that should be good, right? No. We shouldn't be content with just having a few people come to church or just talking to a few people, but striving to talk to everyone and, and praying. Listen, praying for opportunities to talk to someone about Jesus Christ. Amen? Folks, you know that one of the greatest reasons you and I are here is to share, as I said last week, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. To tell them how great things God has done for you. You know, folks, we're going to be talking more about reaching out to to souls for for Jesus Christ. Because that's one of the great reasons we're here. They need to know that God loves them and wants to save them by His grace and We want God to be magnified in our body not so that we'll be glorified but rather that he might be glorified. You know God showed the world something of himself with the nation of Israel. God is trying to show something of himself through us as his people. Through us as his local church. Do we do it perfectly? No. Will we ever do it perfectly? Probably not. But so what? Let's keep trying. Amen. Let's Let's let God have His way with us. Let's let our light shine and ask God to help us for the light of Christ to shine brighter. Amen. In time to come. In Acts 20. Acts 20. In verse 22. Paul writes here, and now... And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. You know the apostle Paul had a life of all kinds of suffering and bondage and difficulty. Second Corinthians chapter eleven. We won't turn there. Read through that chapter. And you'll see the things that Saul of Tarsus, the apostle Paul, suffered for the name of Christ. Now he brought great suffering to Christians. Before he was saved, and he suffered much for the cause of Christ. After but you know what he he was satisfied to do that, to keep on keeping on. He says here, <clears throat> verse twenty four. But none of these things move me, neither neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know, what an amazing thing. He was constantly thinking about He said in Romans chapter 9, look there with me, Romans 9 and 1, Romans 9 and 1. He said, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual, continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed, or if you will, damned, Rejected of Christ for my brethren, kinsmen, according to the flesh. You know, he's burdened with their salvation and their need. Even, listen, even when and even though they persecuted him, he wanted them to be saved. He says in chapter 10, and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that, they, uh, that uh, they might be saved. He said, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. You know the law that Paul at one time had preached to Saul of Tarsus? He had lost sight that the goal, the end, the aim of the law was to point people to Jesus Christ. The moral law told men they were sinners. The ceremonial law showed them where the remedy for sin was. It was in faith in Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Christ. And Paul had a great desire for these people to be saved, even those that persecuted him. You know, the evangelist Gypsy Smith was saved when he was around 10 years of age. Went on to be a great evangelist, but when he was young, he had an uncle I think it was his uncle's name, uh, Rodney. He was a member of the gypsy band. And it was, it was not, uh, it, was an, uh, it was a thing, that, a taboo thing that you could not, as a young person, talk to an adult unless you were spoken to first. And especially in the area of spiritual matters. And one day uh, he, he realized, you know, he said, I, I want so bad for my uncle Rodney to be saved. And he didn't know what he could do, so he started praying about it. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And one day, <clears throat> his Uncle Rodney came up to him, and he, he, looked at, he looked, kind of looked him up and down. And he looked, and he said to him, he said, uh, <coughs> he said, Gypsy, he said, um, he said, what's wrong with your suit? He said, you know, your clothing looks really in pretty good shape, except for the knees. He said, what is wrong with the knees on your pants? And he looked at his uncle and he said, you know, he said, my knees are worn out. The pants on my knees are almost worn out from praying for you to be saved. He said, I love you and I want, he said, I want with all of my heart for you to know God the way I know God. And you know something? It wasn't long after that he came to Gypsy later on and he got saved by the grace of He was so moved. And folks, God worked in his uncle's heart because he prayed earnestly for him to be saved. You know, there's something to reach forward to. There's something to be laboring for. You know, not just going to heaven, but trying to bring people to heaven with us. Philippians 1, if you look there with me. Philippians 1 and verse 3. He says, Paul writes, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it in the day of Jesus Christ. You know, he's talking about the work of conforming us to the image of Christ. Now, God does that for his glory. But if he's glorified, truly glorified, people are gonna notice it. If he's glorified in your life and in mine, people are gonna notice it. They're gonna notice that God is doing something in our lives. God has changed us from what we were to what we are. Now I'm gonna tell you something, it doesn't mean that we're super Christians. But it, you know what, it's, it's an unmistakable thing. Where God is, there's gonna be a change, especially in the heart of men. In Philippians 2 and verse 12, Philippians 2 and 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out uh, your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking about working out from being saved. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, God is, it's one of God's purposes to, for us to, to grow in grace and knowledge, of the Lord, to, for us to be different, to work out from the point of salvation and work out toward reaching out. Work out toward reaching out to people, folks that often won't reach in. They won't reach into us. We need to reach out to them. In 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 24. Paul writes, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. Again, he's using... the illustration of the Grecian games. You know, I have a feeling when you look at Paul that he had a, a, a like for sports. And, you know, he may have known, I don't know, they didn't have sport, sports teams like we do today. You know, I know some Christians that know all the batting averages, they know all the statistics of all different kinds of at, athletes, uh, all to the point of sometimes a neglect of this. Would to God they'd put as much energy into knowing the scripture sometimes as they do knowing sports uh, figures and what have you. Not that it's a sin to know those things. But uh, Saul, of uh, the Apostle Paul, I think was a sports enthusiast. If they'd had hockey, maybe he'd have liked hockey. Where is ice in Greece? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Doesn't speak of hockey, but he talks about uh, fighting, fist fighting. He's talking about running and races and what have you. He says... Uh, <clears throat> we need to run that you may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. You know the apostle Paul was was in a race for his Lord, a, ma- a marathon, and he was always thinking of being, staying in the race, finishing the race, and finishing well, finishing a victorious race. He says. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway. You know what, the, the people that win a particular contests in, in uh, the Olympics, they don't get up one day and say, yeah, I'm going to the Olympics. With no training, with no preparation, often they're dieting, they're exercising, they're putting a lot of time and effort into whatever event they're involved in. And you know why? They want to win. Now, they're looking to win a corruptible crown. But there's something so much more important for you and I as Christian people is that our lives should be lived as an athlete, as one who is running the marathon and, and running to be a winner, not a loser, running to be a winner, not a loser. Doing what is necessary. Maybe giving up some things that are necessary. We recently ce- celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. And my, my wife, uh, she called me on the phone. She says, We need to go by and get a few things. She says, Because we're going to party. And you know what that meant? Absolutely nothing dietarily sound. We had pizza, we had ice cream and i enjoyed every minute of it ah but now i have to somehow lose it it's one thing to gain it it's another thing to lose it <laughs> you know trying to be on a diet and what did she say to me my wife the devil said go and get some pizza go and get some ice cream and i said you betcha i'm going for it <laughs> i mean there was no struggle at all i said yeah we're going to do this <laughs> if you're ever looking for us sometimes, you don't hear from us at all. We could be having a little party at the house, eating all the things we're not supposed to be eating, not concerned about the corruptible crown or what have you. We're not concerned about getting fat or anything, just about having fun. You know what? Preachers are even like that, amen? But on the whole, folks, we can't live our life like that, can we? Not being concerned about the life we live, not being, not being concerned about our, our future and, and service for the Lord. You know, Arnold Palmer, Arnold Palmer said this, the most rewarding things you do in life are often the ones that look like they cannot be done. And he won, I think, almost all the major tournaments in golf, he accomplished things that not too many people have accomplished since then, although there have been some. And that exciting Sport of golf. That if you're not careful, you'll fall asleep watching. Amen. (laughs) Ah, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. You know, folks, I'm going to tell you this. Christian service isn't exciting necessarily. It's not exciting. I remember when I got saved and God called me to preach. I was just sure I was going to burn the world upside, turn it upside down, going to be the big preacher, this, that. You know what I found out? <clears throat> oh, is there anybody really like that? <laughs> oh yeah, there's some great preachers. And there probably are. Paul was. You know, we have ideas about things. But you know what? I, I, it came home to me one day that serving the Lord is sometimes doing the same ordinary mundane things every day. Living our lives, doing, trying to do the right thing and be a good testimony, praying for opportunities, Being in your place, doing your thing for God. Not a lot of great and wonderful, exciting things happen. Except, except when someone finally does come to Christ and is saved by the grace of God. Except when maybe God used you to talk to someone who finally got saved by the grace of God. Folks, do you know something? You're talking about saving a soul from sin and the consequences of it. The Bible says there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth than over the 90 and nine just persons that need no repentance. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 12 and one, Paul writes here, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And I think he's referring back to chapter 11. And God gives us a long list of people who walk by faith, live by faith, but understand they were just people like you and I. The thing that caused them to be able to do great things and want to do great, great things was the God in them that enabled them to do things. Wherefore, seeing we all are so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside, what? The weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That, that phrase, besetting sin, talks about the sin that is around us that we trip over because we're maybe not being careful. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, folks, Christ has already run the race. And Christ has done all the hard things. Therefore, we can come to the throne of grace and know that there is someone who will understand and be there for us and help us. Amen. Be there for us and help us. In 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4 and 6. Paul writes, As he is about to die, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. He said, I've done my best. You know what? What does God require of a Christian? Simply to try to do our best for God. Now, your best may be different from my best. Your abilities may be greater than my abilities. But whatever our abilities, you know what God wants? For us simply to strive to do our best for the Lord to strive to do our best for the Lord. And whatever God's given us to do, you know, sometimes we think service in the church is, serving the Lord is just about coming to church and working in the, in the nursery or working in Sunday school or playing a music, singing special. That's not all there is to serving, not even preaching. Serving God is wise, being uh, good wives and mothers and, and uh, doing a good job on your job. All kinds of things are really a part of serving the Lord being used of him to show the world that there are people who are different and that do care. He said in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. You know what? Paul was not going to go home by the rapture. Saul, Paul, the apostle, died by being beheaded. And which was in one sense a very merciful way to die. One swift stroke of a very sharp axe, and his life was over. Someone, my wife, pointed out to me in the news recently that was some crazy man, I don't know if it was his girlfriend or whatever, he chased her down with a sword and cut her head off because she tried to leave him. Who in their right mind does that? Who in their right mind does that for any reason? And yet Paul said, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. I'm ready. I've done my best. I'm ready to go home. And God was merciful to him. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Verses 51 to 57 talk about our change. It talks about the resurrection of our body. And one day, God will resurrect this body from the grave. If we die in the Lord, we're saved. We go to be, with the, to be absent from the body, to so be present with the Lord. He's talking about the resurrection of the body. It'll be a glorified body. It will be skinny. I think. I want to stop short of saying it'll be beautiful because it isn't too beautiful now. <laughs> Amen. Will we all be beautiful? Will, it, will we all be skinny? Probably not. But we will be ourselves and our bodies will be glorified. Amen. And you know what? It just won't matter in heaven. You know, we worry so much about whether I'm fat or whether I'm skinny, whether I'm ugly or whether I'm pretty. I worry about being pretty all the time. <laughs> Don't look at me that way, Dan. He's looking like, preacher, what's wrong with you? No. Yeah. (laughs) Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain of the Lord. You know, Paul said we need to move forward. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what? He wasn't satisfied to live in the past. He could remember the past. He could remember what he'd learned, what the Lord had done for him, and that's important. He could remember sometimes his failures, and that's important. We need to learn from failure. Learn. But we don't live there. There. We need to move on, move forward for the glory of God and the good of other people. You know what, whether the world wants to admit it or not, they're depending, they're depending on Christians living for God. See, God has chosen to use us to help them. Use you. Use you to reach them, to help them. What are we going to do? Let's pray. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about this message, or if you would like information about our church, please visit us online at bbcdickinson.com.